it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 130. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to try a little thought experiment. Well, Andrew's going to test some stuff out on me. So he had a great idea for the show. And basically, I don't really know exactly what we're going to do. I do. But what's going to happen is, is that Andrew is going to read me some information from a 10K and some footnotes. And we're going to talk about a possible value trap. And so I'm going to be a little bit of his guinea pig tonight. So it kind of be like if you and he and I were talking to you guys as listeners, I'm going to be kind of the listener tonight. So this should be kind of fun. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew and he's going to do some talking. Yeah, let's do it. I wanted to give like kind of a fresh perspective where you're somebody who has no idea what's going on kind of a thing. And you can kind of interject on when you have ideas or thoughts and just see where the conversation goes from there. Basically, what I'm going to do in today's episode is I'm going to kind of do like, like let's sit down as if we were going to try to find a stock today. So we're going to use a screener. We're going to use some, some financial metrics. Um, so for you to kind of understand where this conversation is going, you're going to want to know the basics of that. So like I say over and over and over again, if you haven't already, you can go back to the archives. We have lots of intro stuff. And so get that foundation first and then maybe come back and listen to this one. Um, but you know, we're going we're gonna to do that now. And so it's like, let's take a stock or a group of stocks today, run it through a screener, try to find a good stock. I'm going to show you one that looks like a great stock, has all the right metrics, but is actually a value trap. And uh, I will show you why, and we'll just see what that discussion kind of, if it takes off or if it's just completely boring, you're just going to have to listen anyway. But um, basically, you know, if you've been following the market at all recently, uh, I'm recording this in December 2019. Uh, so many different stories. Um, a sort of big one and one that I'm seeing just kind of over and over and over again is surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, biotech is still really huge right now. So there's a lot 
of huge jumps in stocks. Like we're talking about these biotech stocks that will jump 15% in a matter of minutes or drop 10% in a matter of minutes. And this is all kind of par for the course. People aren't really blinking an eye. Now, biotech's always been like super volatile. Um, but what I've been seeing a lot lately is a lot of stocks that are dropping on this piece of news or that piece of news. So one big idea, one um, big example of that that has been going on recently is a lot of these biotech stocks have been doing public offerings. And so it's basically where, you know, kind of like an IPO, but then they're doing it again. And so we've talked previously about how Tesla has really funded a lot of their losses by issuing shares and diluting the shares and all of that fresh cash is able to, to um, cushion those losses. Well, a lot of these biotech companies are having, they're doing these secondary offerings. And so they're issuing stock, they're diluting their stock and getting a bunch of cash for it. And, you know, the, the market, we like to say the market's emotional and we say that a lot and it's, it's very, very emotional and it overreacts probably a lot more than it doesn't. But, at the same time, while it's emotional, it's also not stupid. So when it sees something like this, where basically, you know, the company is saying, Hey, we're out of cash. We need more cash. Let's do something and try to get more cash. So the market tends to respond to that negatively. And you'll see a lot of biotech stocks, at least in the past couple of weeks, who have dropped five, 10, 15% as soon as they've announced a public offering. And on the flip side, um, there's been stocks that just on any sort of news, and it's not like really small news. These are, these are big breakthroughs. So a lot of times, again, talking about biotech, there's all this science stuff behind it, all this R and D. Uh, they could have like an FDA approval on a drug and that would lead to, uh, a drug that couldn't turn a biotech stock that's not profitable into one that is now churning in and uh, cash flow. And so when these big drugs go through the different stages and they perform well um, from like the science standpoint, then Wall Street recognizes that, hey, now this stock has a lot more potential and they bid it up higher. And a lot of that momentum tends to perpetuate on itself. And, and so you'll see these huge gains. So with that, you know, as a value investor, it's it's tough, if not impossible, to find biotech stocks that you would consider a value stock. Um, many of these will be unprofitable, uh, like I mentioned. Many of them will be trading at astronomical valuations, ten times book, ten times sales. Uh, you know, PE of a hundred plus. Um, but you know, every once in a while you get one of these biotechs that shows good metrics. And so I wanted to highlight one of those and, and kind of take you through. So, uh, let's say if you're able to follow along on the computer, uh, probably most of you aren't, but let's say you were, you would go on Finviz and on Finviz, which is a stock screener that lets you input certain metrics and, and it will sort through the universe of stocks Finviz has 7845, 7,845 stocks in their database right now. And those are all like traded on the NYSE or the NASDAQ. 
Um, so if we were go on there and let's say what's cool is you can sort by industry. So let's say, you know, all this biotech news made you really excited about biotech stocks and you want to see if there were any that would fit your metrics. So that's exactly what we're going to do. You go on finviz.com in the industry tab, you hit biotechnology. And let's say in the PE tab, you hit profitable. So that's going to eliminate all those um, non-profitable biotechs. And it just took a list of 568 stocks. So there's 568 biotech stocks. And then I hit the profitable tab and only 47 came up. So um, a really small percentage of these are actually profitable. And so let's say we want that. Let's say we want a debt to equity really low. So I'm just going to say uh, under... I'm going to cheat because I kind of knew what stocks were going to come up. So I'm going to say under 0.1, which is the lowest you can go. So that would be basically like we want a stock with no debt, one that is debt-free. And then we're going to get rid of some of these outlandish price-to-sales and price-to-book stocks. I'm seeing here's one that's a price-to-sales of 47, price-to-book of 6. So good luck to you if anybody's trying to do that. So I just hit price-to-sales under 2 and price-to-book under 2 just as an example. And magically, one stock came up. This is uh, The ticker is JNCE. And so when I click on it, they are a biotechnology stock. They have a market cap of $225 million and they don't pay a dividend. So just kind of right off the bat, this wouldn't be, for multiple reasons, it wouldn't be a stock that would score well on the VTI. However, um, it has some great looking other metrics on here. And so I can see certainly why somebody would be intrigued by this and could possibly uh, you know, make a wrong choice and, and maybe think that just because these numbers are good, it's going to be a good investment. I'll show you why that's that's kind of not the case. So for JNCE, their company name is Jounce Therapeutics. I probably mispronounced that. They have a price to earnings of 3.38, according to Finviz, a price to sales of 1.34, a price to book 1.32, and a price to cash of 1.28. So basically what that's telling you is the stock is trading at three, a little over three times earnings. So for every $3 you're paying in the stock, you're getting $1 of earnings. That's pretty incredible. Uh, price to sales and price to book just over one. So same same kind of logic, but with the sales and the book value and then price to cash of 1.28. So you're basically getting, let's say you pay $128, $100 of that is cash. So you're really only paying like 28 cents, right? Um, so that sounds like a crazy good deal. And it's like, how is nobody jumping on this, right? And it, not to say nobody's jumped on it. Since October, the stock has grown from $3 to $7.61. So there is interest in it. There is positive momentum. There's been a lot of volume lately. And despite all of the growth in the stock price, these valuations still show up really, really low. And then the last couple things here with a quick ratio and current ratio, basically, I don't want to get too in-depth into this, but... It's it's a balance sheet metric where you're comparing the current assets with the current liabilities. So when we think of something that's long term, you're thinking of like you know like 
like in personal finances, general debt is is more long term. Uh, short term stuff would be stuff maybe that's due this year versus stuff that's due in five years. And so same thing with like um, their current assets. Those are things like cash, accounts receivable, stuff that's like available in the very, very short term. I think the criteria is within the first year, but that's just the general idea. So with a current ratio of 13, that's extremely high. Uh, even if a stock has one of a two, that's, that's pretty high. So, you know, they don't, in, in the, in the upcoming year, they don't have anything from an expense standpoint that's really going to make the business in trouble as far as the current ratio goes. And then the debt to equity is a 0.00. So, you know, again, on the surface, this sounds like the best kind of deal, the best kind of stock. Dave, um, any thoughts or feedback from what I have presented so far? No, everything that you've read to me sounds like, you know, a, a dream. I mean, <clears throat> the everything is just like ridiculously low. I mean, no debt. Uh, the when it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. 
price to cash or price to book is all fantastic. Uh, the P is ridiculous. Um, I mean, I was looking at the revenue growth was 189% for the year. Uh, you know, everything just looks fantastic. I mean, just on the, you know, on the surface level of all this, it looks like where can I buy some and how quickly can I do it now? (laughs) (laughs) So now let me just, now that I presented it and made it look all nice, let me just burst your bubble. So as you know, as you should, and as we recommend, when looking at stocks, you know, it, it always starts at the screener, but it should never end there. And so kind of like when we did the Starbucks balance sheet, um, how we we kind of took a deeper dive, right? And, and we tried to really figure out what's going on with the business. You can do the same with, with this um, stock. So in particular, I wanted to pull up the latest 10Q. So there, you have the 10K and the 10Q. The 10Q is the quarterly report, and um, Wall Street swears by it. Um, but there's some downsides to using it. It's not completely audited, um, and it's just not as complete as a 10K. But you know, it gives us into some insight into how Finviz found this these metrics because Finviz works on the most recent data. So you might see discrepancies when you're looking at a stock versus what's on a screener or a website like Finviz. Because when I look at stocks, I'm looking at the 10K, the annual report, um, and these sometimes are on uh, more recent data, which isn't always official official. Um, And the reason I bring that up is because in this company's latest 10K, they had negative earnings, but in their latest 10Q quarterly report, they had huge earnings, which is why the PE was so low. So when you look at the 10Q, you can see the breakdown between here's how the stock has done in the last three months, you know, the last quarter. Here's how that's compared to uh, last year. And so we see a huge jump. We see uh, a situation in 2018 when for the three months ending in September, they had a loss of 7.5 million and now they have a gain of 98 million. So you have to wonder how did they get such a huge jump? And like you said, Dave, with the revenue, um, again, you compare this quarter to the quarter in the year before you're talking about a jump from 14 million to 119 million. So that's pretty crazy, pretty significant. And you want to figure out what's going on. I like to look at um, the cash flow statement as well. I think that's, that's very helpful um, because you, that's, that's where you can see things like uh, what were we, what we were talking about with, um, if if a company issues shares and they get a bunch of cash through there, then that's where you can um, see wh- where that played out. Um, I I like to look at the cash flow statement, but I'm I'm realizing that's something because I've done this for a long time that I like to do it. Um, so let's just make it like stupid simple. Uh, what you can do when you look at again. We're taking this from the perspective of somebody who is looking for an opportunity, right? And so what you want to do is you want to understand the business model a little bit. We've talked about this over and over and over again. 
Uh, similar to what Buffett says about having a circle of competence, you want to know how is the business making money. And so if you go to the overview of this is their latest 10Q, you go to the overview. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. All right. So the 10Q is a little bit different than the 10K, and it will probably be different depending on uh, the business. Here they have the financial statements first. You can look in the table of contents, and I can give you some perspective. I'm going to click on item two, which is a little bit past the financial statements. And so they have like a, it's called a management's discussion of analysis and analysis of financial condition and results of operations. So results of operations, that's kind of what I want to figure out, right? It, are there any notes to why this stock just had a huge jump? And in their overview, you can see within the first couple of sentences, uh, first couple of paragraphs, and then here it says, on July 22nd, 2019, we entered into a license agreement with Celgene. So basically, they granted this company called Celgene a exclusive license to develop blah, 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 blah. And if you continue reading, you'll see that basically that company, Celgene, paid this company, Jounce, a one-time upfront payment. And so they're basically taking that whole payment upfront and putting it in the financial statement and that's why you see this huge jump. So, you know, you have this this upfront payment thing. You have all this cash that that suddenly is is coming into the company, but everything else around the business is still lose it, it, it it's still like a a a losing company. It's still losing business. Yeah, so basically, you know, they have this one-time sale and so ba- basically the success of the business that we've seen so far in the financial statements is just based off a single transaction. You you don't really know as an investor what's going to happen from here. Um nothing else within the core business has really changed all that much. And so what you're likely to see in a situation like this is a one-time bump to the financials and then it will go back to how it was before once once this upfront payment is reflected in the financials and then they go back to it. So, you know, if it was making up uh not as much, right? Like if if it was a big payment but their revenue growth was still a lot higher, then you would say, okay, maybe this was real business results. But everything's pointing to just a one-time payment and nothing really substantial over the long term. And if you continue reading down, um, you see, like they said, they had a another agreement with Celgene back in July of 2016, where they also received uh, a very large payment, cash payment, $225 million. So... You know, that's what three years ago. So you have these huge kind of agreements that they're coming to, 
Um, but in the interim, you just have many periods of years where things aren't that great. So those numbers in FINVAs aren't really reflective of what's going on with the long-term health of the business because of what's going on in these notes. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because as you were kind of looking through all this and explaining all of it, I was kind of looking at the the statements too. And just for an example, if you look at the revenue, if you look at the income statement for that's in the 10Q, when you look at the other line items that are listed below just the license and collaboration revenue that the, the payment that they got from Celgene, if you look at everything else, it doesn't change. There, you know, their expenses are all the same. Uh, their their R and D no change. General administrative. Their operating income loss is you know the year before for the same time period was you know a loss, whereas this year it's you know a huge gain, and it's simply for that. And this, I think. If I can interject, it, it really kind of illustrates the strength of having to look at longer time periods as opposed to just looking at the one shorter time period because it's misleading. Uh, it doesn't appear that the company is making money at this point. It's only been around since 2012, so it's still a young company. And it looks like that you know, this is like you said, a value trap. It just, it looks like you'd throw all your money into it. And then you realize the next year, uh Oh, <laughs> what, uh, what did I do? Yeah. And that, that was just kind of the whole point of trying to bring it up. I think, um, the numbers are very helpful. And, and when we start to learn them, they can really open up the stock market and you can really understand. And I think it helps a lot to have a simplified kind of guide. That's why I, I made one uh, way back when, right? And and it's introed on the show all the time. And that's where I teach things like the price earnings, price of book, price of sales. And so there's a lot of these simple ratios um, that are presented nicely in a lot of different stock market websites, but it really pays to go deeper than that, particularly the more you're betting on these on these different stocks and different businesses. Um, so, you know, would it kill you to buy a stock like this if it's just an average kind of 5% position size? Probably not. Would you regret it three months later once, or let's say a year later, once the numbers took a turn for the worst? And that's the reason why probably, yeah. And so if we can avoid that as much as possible, then I think we can become better investors. I don't think you have to necessarily catch all of it, right? But I think taking that extra step can really help um, your understanding and your comfort level and and really your knowledge and increase your chances of doing well in the stock market. I totally agree. And I, I think this is a great illustration of a lot of the things that Andrew and I talk about in regards to looking at longer time periods and assessing a lot of the needs and and trying to you know think about this kind of like your Sherlock Holmes and you're investigating and you're trying to put together a puzzle and figure out 
what exactly is going on with the puzzle. And you may not necessarily know every single thing about the company, but you're always looking for reasons not to buy it, I guess is the best way of putting it. And I I like to think about what Uncle Charlie says when he talks about inverting and trying to destroy good ideas. And when Andrew was first talking about all this stuff, uh, kind of going through all the the preliminary numbers that he found through the screener, that's a perfect illustration of why you want to do additional research and not just buy based on just the screener itself. Because it's easy to fall in love with a company when you look at something like that. But then when you start digging into the bigger numbers and you find out, ooh, this is this could be dangerous. And like Andrew said, you know, yeah, you put 5% of your portfolio in this company. Is it going to ruin you for life? No. But are you reg- going to regret it? There's a good chance you would. And that's what we're trying to help you avoid is falling in love with a company, whether it's something like a biotech or it could be anything and trying to understand better what is going on. And I have another kind of a quicker illustration to a company that we've talked about in the past, Corning. They went through a somewhat similar situation a few years ago where they had sold a portion of their business to Dow and they received a large cash payment for that purchase And they talked a lot about that in their 10Ks and in their conference calls on their quarterly uh, reviews. And they told everybody what was going on, what was going to happen, what they're going to do with the money. And they did all the things that they were going to do. They said they were going to do. They used it to buy back shares. They used it to put back into the company to try to generate more income further down the road. And so they were very upfront about everything that was going on. So you weren't shocked to buy it but if you look at a you know a, a five to ten year period of time and look at their revenue and their earnings and and a lot of the things that andrew and i talk about you'll see that there's one particular year that it's like wow that was awesome but it's it's it was skewed because of that one huge benefit they got from selling a portion of their company and those are things when we are investing that we need to investigate, no pun intended, <laughs> to make sure that we are doing our due diligence because we work hard for our money and we don't want to just throw it away just because we see something that's really shiny at first and we need to make sure that we're you know, being as intelligent as we can when we're making a decision like this because it's not, it's not always easy and it's not always going to be simple and quick and easy to do this, but I kind of go back to what uncles Warren and Charlie talk about with their too hard pile. And if you come across a company that you just don't understand, or there's parts about it that you're just having a really hard time figuring out, move on. It's just not worth the stress and aggravation just to try to shoehorn a company into everything that you want it to be because there are so many different pitches that you could take a swing at that maybe this one would not be one you'd want to look at. But I think, you know, Andrew's illustration and his explanation of how he kind of looked at everything is a great example of a way that you would want to investigate a company when you're starting to try to put all the pieces together. I love that you mentioned Uncle Charlie and Uncle Warren. Um, 
one of Warren Buffett's best stock picks, Coca-Cola, one of the reasons why he liked it so much. He said they just year after year after year, you can see their earnings and their revenue and it grows at a decent rate and it's just dependable and, and been around for a long time. And so kind of to the point that you made at the beginning of the show, having that long-term look can help you avoid falling into a trap, potential trap like this um, because you are understanding a bigger picture of what's really going on with the business. And, and I like that idea and I think it could help a lot with a stock like this or a stock like Corning um, and other stocks that will get into those types of situations. Yep. I totally agree. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion tonight. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the company and the possible value trap. And I think Andrew did a fantastic job of kind of laying that out. And that was kind of fun. He kind of put me on the spot and had me have to react to things. So it was interesting to learn how those things work and how they all interact and doing your due diligence is definitely going to pay rewards in the long run for you for sure. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and have a great week. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.